Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about the history of aviation. But it's not going to be Amelia Earhart or Charles Lindbergh or the Wright brothers. It's going to be something a little less illustrious. And those are some bungled attempts at one-person flight. And I know when I was little, I genuinely thought that I could fly if I just concentrated hard enough. I did, too. I actually took it one step further and took flying lessons when I was in kindergarten. And looking back, I always thought it was the difference between being five years old and six years old. And my friend was kind of putting me on about teaching me how to fly. But we talked about it recently, and she said she knew she couldn't fly. But she honestly believed that if she coached me enough, I might be able to. Well, I'm glad your attempts went a little bit better than some of the other ones on our list. Yeah, I'm glad we learned early that flying is not easy unless you're in a plane or something. Unlike the story of Daedalus and Icarus from Ovid's Metamorphoses, Daedalus was an inventor, and for himself and his son, he made wings out of wax and feathers so they could escape from the island of Crete. But... Daedalus warned Icarus not to go too close to the sun, or the wax would melt. But he did, and he fell into the ocean and perished. And that idea of building wings with feathers, that feathers were the real key to flight, and that the bird wing was like the perfect form to fly with, really is a theme through all of these bungled attempts. People can't let go of the idea that feathers are what make you fly. And that brings us to the story of Al-Jawari, who lived in Nisabur, Arabia, around 1000 AD. He was a Turkish scholar from Farab. And sometime between 1002 and 1010, he tied two pieces of wood to his arms and jumped from a mosque in Nisabur. And as you'll see in a lot of these stories, he did it in front of a crowd and had a very dramatic pronouncement before he jumped. Oh, people, no one has made this discovery before. Now I will fly before your very eyes. The most important thing on earth is to fly to the skies. That I will do now. But he didn't. He fell and was killed. And flight was pretty interesting to Islamic scholars during the Middle Ages. And it was even a sacred ideal to the Turks, something uh, that was seriously discussed in the Middle East long before Europe. Uh, Even around the 13th century, the Turkish lyric poet Sultan Valid included the word ugmak, I think I'm saying that right, I'm not sure, in his poems, which meant both heaven and to fly. So that obsession with flight is pretty, pretty early. But there were other countries that had a long obsession with flight. Portugal was one of them. Um, The Portuguese Air Club was formed in 1909. There was a Portuguese Air Museum that came into being, what, just six years? Only six years after the Wright brothers. Right. And that brings us to our next person, Joao Torto. Torto was a nurse, barber, bleeder, healer, astrologer, and teacher, but he wanted to add a personal flyer to that list. Uh, it didn't work out so well. He built some calico cloth-covered wings, and to really complete the picture, put on an eagle-shaped helmet. And um, on June 20th, 1540, at 5 p.m., precisely, he jumps from the cathedral tower of St. Matthias Square and falls to the chapel. 
Unfortunately, the helmet slips, he can't see where he's going, and he's fatally wounded in front of the crowd that's come to see his flight. Another Renaissance man who met with a better fate, I'd say, was B. Leonardo da Vinci. And that might be because he didn't actually try to fly, or at least we're not sure he did. He did, however, invent a contraption for flight. Right, the complex ornithopter, and he drew these very detailed pictures of it, but no one's sure if he if he did build the model or test it at all. One of Leonardo's associates, Cardenas, wrote in 1550 that Leonardo had tried, in quotes, in vain to get this ornithopter to fly, but it hadn't worked. So perhaps there were a few not-so-successful attempts Le- from da Vinci. Leonardo's pretty famous for designing all these amazing machines, though, and and not actually seeing them through. That's why we can still build them today and find out what they were really like. Right. We've got another article I know on him, on whether or not he built a primitive version of the car that John Fuller also wrote, which I'd encourage you to check out. One of Leonardo's contemporaries did actually get off the ground, though. Giovanni Battista Dante, um, who was an Italian mathematician, he glued feathers to his arms, um, so the standard model of personal flight, and just flaps. And <laughs> he's got trial flights at Lake Trasimino, but it doesn't go so well, and he has a violent crash on the roof of a St. Mary's church. But there's another Renaissance man who's about 100 years after these two, and he's still stuck on this bird's wing theory, thinking he can make it work. So he made wings out of whalebone, of course, covering them with feathers, because they knew that had something to do with the flight thing, and made them into a curved sort of shape with springs. And he did make a bit of a flight. It lasted about 400 yards, and then he fell through a roof and broke his legs. That was Paolo Guadotti. So, yeah, the the Renaissance Italian attempts aren't particularly illustrious. I think he he decided that he'd stick to painting from then on. So now we'll go across the channel to a man named John Williams, who turned out to be the Archbishop of York. And like Sarah and I, as a child, John Williams was convinced that he could fly. This is in 1589, so I guess it was every child's dream even then. But he actually jumps from the walls of Conway Castle in Wales into the sea. He's walking along and is so taken by the idea that if he jumps, he can fly. Plus, he's wearing a really long coat, and he hopes that the coat will billow out, I guess like some sort of parachute. Um, unfortunately, he falls on the rocks and is injured in a very unfortunate way. Because he was castrated. Although they wrote it a bit more delicately in the Renaissance, John Hackett wrote that falling on this stone caused a secret infirmity fitter to be understood than further described. Our next story comes from France, but it is just a story. It's a moral tale about the dangers of flight. And it was written by a man named Philippe Lepicard, who wrote about a laborer, who was known for his drinking, and then one day, when he had too much to drink, he decided to make himself a flying apparatus. He cuts a winnowing basket in half and uh, fashions some wings out of those, but then he decides that to look and act more like a bird, to really be the bird, he needs a tail. So he uses a shovel and kind of sticks it behind his pants and jumps off a pear tree with this contraption and ends up breaking a shoulder where, you know, then from then on he can't 
he can't continue on his drunken inventions and doesn't work out. And this is a 16th century story, but flight had been somewhat of a moral issue for quite a while. In the 18th century in France, there were even proposed laws that would detail strict control over how flying machines could be used and could be built. People were worried about criminal misuse of flight, that you could go places you weren't supposed to go at a time, you know, when walls were a pretty big deal. Yeah. And in the 17th century, a man named Johann Daniel Major wrote about a world, I'm quoting from John's article, in which treachery, robbery, and assassination would be heaped upon one another. Towns and castles, whole provinces and kingdoms would presumably soon be obliged to fill the air either by means of the frequent firing of cannon or by stirring up rising smoke to protect themselves against total invasion. But that premonition didn't bother Benier the locksmith, also from France back in 1678. He's an interesting case of somebody who lives a life totally separate from flight. You know, he's not always pursuing building these contraptions, but just one day wakes up and decides, I am going to fly. Benia designs an apparatus made of two wooden rods placed on the shoulders, and each has two wings attached to them. Now, the rods also tie onto the pilot's feet, and you can kind of flap. This is a good thing to go to the article and actually check out the picture of this, because it's pretty hard to to visualize if you're not actually seeing it. And and when you look at it, it doesn't... (laughs) It looks like a big mess of sticks with some paper attached to it. Doesn't it doesn't look promising. It doesn't look like it would work, but it it's actually better than most of these attempts. Um, he's able to jump from low heights. He doesn't try to just start flapping from the ground, but he's able to jump from low heights, first chairs and tables, and then then a little bit higher. And he can... He's actually okay at gliding down to the ground smoothly. Long attempts at flight, however, don't work out. I don't know. I would have been satisfied with just a little glide when I was a little one. Well, maybe just not like a violent crash and a broken leg or death. Which brings us to (laughs) the Marquis de Bacqueville, who one day just, again, woke up and decided that today was the day he was going to fly, despite the fact that he had, it appears, no interest in aviation up until this time. That was just his day. And in fact, he was going to fly from one side of the Seine to the other. He wanted to leave from his mansion in Paris and fly about 500 to 600 feet to land in the Tuileries. And he gathers a large crowd on this, you know, date. They always like to do that, too. Yes. You, well, you want to you show want everybody you're to, going to accomplish to this flight. And he had, again, large wings that looked a lot like paddles that he had on both his hand and his feet. He looks kind of like a human ping pong paddle, actually. Like he looks ridiculous for ping pong paddles. <laughs> and he jumped from a terrace on his mansion, starts to float toward the garden, and he's for a minute, make it. exactly, everyone thinks, "Oh, he's going to make it," and then he kind of starts wavering back and forth, and then slams into the deck of a barge and breaks his leg, and that was his one and only attempt at flight. Our final Frenchman is the Abbe Pierre de Forge, who is a French clergyman born about 1723. And he was a pretty controversial figure in his lifetime. He was imprisoned in the Bastille for almost a year because he believed that uh, Catholic priests and bishops should be allowed to marry. That's the kind of thing that's going to get you into trouble. Um, but he's he's basically seen by the authorities as somebody who's eccentric, but essentially harmless. And I like his tactic toward this whole flying thing because I'm sure he'd heard about these other failed attempts. And so 
the Abbe makes some wings, but instead of trying them out himself, he tries to convince someone else to do it for him. A handy peasant. Yes, peasants, they are so handy. He covers this peasant in feathers from head to toe, leads him (laughs) up to a belfry, and then he tells him, you know, you should really just start flapping your arms, and then you should just throw yourself out into the air. It's totally going to work. Um, The peasant... Probably for the best. Yes, declines. (laughs) And so instead, DeForge decides he'd like to make a real flying machine, and he needs to get up some money and some time and set himself to doing that. Yeah, before he had been studying the mating habits of swallows in prison, so I guess that's where he was stuck on the feather and bird idea. But his next attempt is... Is, yeah, like you said, more of a flying machine. It's a six foot long gondola covered by a canopy and attached with wings, which have a wingspan of 20 feet. So that sounds a little bit more promising, but also a lot heavier. So the Abbe this time gets four peasants not to, to do the <laughs> deed for him, but to, to push him off the, the tower he's gonna jump from. This- Cersei is my favorite line from John's article. It says, This time Deforge was the one flying, as he most likely assumed that word had spread among the peasants to look out for any clergyman seeking aid near heights. <laughs> so in front of a large crowd, the peasants push him over the edge and plunk, you know, he falls straight to the ground. And he does okay. He's not crushed or smashed on the or ground. Or castrated. Or castrated. He, he breaks an arm. Um, and, and that's the end of his flying career. But the crowd is beyond unimpressed. One of the onlookers, Baron von Grimm, said that, you know, they weren't going to <laughs> burn him as a sorcerer or anything, but this flying contraption was enough for them to put him in the madhouse. And our final somewhat madman is King Bladud, um, who reportedly lived around 850 BC, but we should say King Bladud is probably a legendary figure, even though he might have had a contemporary counterpart. And I would like to interject here that he is now rivaling our affections with Juba too for favorite, favorite historical name. names. I, yeah, he's he's up there for sure. So the mythical King Bladud was practiced in necromancy or communication with the spirits of the dead. And so he used this this power to build a pair of wings that he attached to his arms. And he made a flight attempt, jumping from the Temple of Apollo while wearing his wings. Um, unfortunately, the spirits didn't really give him the right idea for how to build wings, and he falls to his death. And after he falls, supposedly he was buried in New Troy and succeeded by his son, Lear. And if that name sounds familiar, think of Shakespeare's King Lear, because that was who it was based on. Maybe this is why Lear was so upset. Exactly. And on an interesting side note, Bladud didn't, isn't just known for this bungled flight attempt. Supposedly, he also discovered the healing springs of Bath, England, with his pigs. And because of that, there are a hundred model pigs placed around Bath in 2008 to honor him. So if Sarah and I decide to make any more flight attempts, we're going to head to Hartsfield-Jackson, and we're not going to put feathers on our arms. We're going to get a peasant to do it for us. Yeah, I think that is the lesson from, from this podcast. And if you'd like to read more about the stories we've just told, check out the article Top 10 Bungled Attempts at One Person Flight by John Fuller from our Stuff from the B-Side podcast on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 